0: Thanks for listening in, this is broadcast number 34 of Indie Radio. Indie Radio is an indie game development talk show which is here to bring you interviews with both large and lesser known developers, recap the latest news, debate about topics in indie gaming, and it gives you some tips and tricks for your journey into game development. Today I will be your host, Britt Hudson, broadcasting live from the Midwest United States.
1: I'm the really boring co-host Ian, I'm Matt, and uh,
0: I'm John. We will get to the news right after this. Alright, so first up with news, we're going to talk about Stencil 3.0 with iOS Publishing. It's a three-part blog post, obviously on the Stencil blog. And they talked about iOS Publishing in Stencil 3.0. It's pretty straightforward. They've been writing it over the course of the last two weeks. And it talks about how there's easy universal apps. Mouse and touch is unified. You can run directly without Xcode. Run directly from Windows onto your iOS uh, device, which is really cool, because prior to this, you've only been able to export stuff to your iOS through a Mac computer, which is cool. But um, I believe you still have to have a window, or I mean a Mac, to publish it. I'm not sure. It says local publishing. Yep, if you're on a Mac, you can now publish your apps directly from your Mac. Um, and then they talk about native iOS features, mobile events, and more. You can check out. All the features on the Stencil blog at blog.stencil.com.
1: Over on Serum, the people who make Construct and Construct 2 and whatnot, they have an article on their blog about HB5 games running faster than native. Um, According to their tests for performance and whatnot, they've noticed that in Chrome 25 with WebGL, on-screen sprites, on-screen sprites, god, on-screen <laughs> sprites are be rendered much faster than just classic sprites and everything. Um, they also tried it with WebGL disabled, and it still renders faster than the, ah, uh, the, oh, oh, god, I can't even write that. It, it doesn't render nearly as fast though, it's 37 times faster when you have WebGL um, as opposed to having it disabled.
0: But yeah, it's definitely interesting how uh, the stats are coming out, and I'm glad that Sigur is doing all these articles about HTML5 and how it's, you know, comparing it to other platforms. They have a lot of it on their blog, and um, sometimes we talk about it and sometimes we don't, and I, I don't think anybody else has really looked into the statistics as much as they have. so.
1: Well, I just like how they're not just concerned about their own products, they're also concerned about going into the actual, um, just like statistics and other things like that. They'll, mm-hmm. you know, introduce you to things that are valid for not just their product, but any HTML5 or things like
2: that. It's very nice that they go through and do that.
0: Mm-hmm, definitely.
2: Alright, and... Uh, Unity Technologies recently launched the beta for their upcoming Unity 4.0, which is available to the public for the first time free of charge. New features for 4.0 include a new character animation system made possible by Unity's frequent acquisition of the animation tools company Mechanim, DirectX 11 support, a Flash export, a preview Linux export, and more. The engine is being built... by Unity, as one that will make it possible for studios of any size to create AAA-level titles, thanks mostly in part to the engine's new visual features, which will include real-time shadows on mobile devices and optimizations.
0: Wow, so they're having a free beta. I, I'm i actually a bit shocked that uh, Unity is doing that. Um. Wow. Hmm. I, I didn't yeah, catch I that the first is, time I read this.
1: Well wasn't there like a day when Uni they
2: just made it free for uh the the basic license or whatever and everything? Um uh, it was I mean, for, for the, the mobile exports, but yeah. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: That's so, what then, it was. I think
1: that uh, was during like a Ludum Dare or something I thought, but uh yeah. Or the October town, something like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um they're actually supporting the um Fuck this jam, which we're going to be talking about later. But um, this makes a good transition for Unity's ready for the iPad 4 and the new iPad Mini. So, <clears throat> iOS developers around the world are waiting impatiently for Friday, November 2nd, when the new iPad 4 and iPad Mini ships, says Unity. So, with the new Unity 3.5.6, you can actually already export your games to the new um... ios platforms that are available and um... if you go to the blog uh... which is blogs.unity3d.com you can actually read up on how to um... program it so you can add the support for the things to your game and it also has unity 4.0 open beta support <coughs> Which is a lot simpler than putting it into the current three point five point six. And it looks really, really simple. And it says that they will both work right out of the box. Which is fantastic.
1: <laughs> you alright there? The <laughs> alright. Over in the land of Game Maker, uh, they are offering a free uh, well they're supporting windows 8 with all existing versions of GameMaker studio standard professional and master collection um and which i mean that's really surprising but there's also a competition that they've launched giving developers a chance to win 500 dollars for publishing windows 8 games and there are heavy discounts they've been offering heavy discounts on game maker 8.1 customers who want to upgrade to game maker studio and they're attempting to make it irresistible oh. to publish a Windows 8 game, and are now offering a $50 <laughs> rebate yeah. on registration to the Windows Store for simply publishing a game created with GameMaker Studio. And <laughs> telling them about it.
4: <laughs> <laughs> the dawning of a new age, I guess. Mm-hmm. Windows 8. I, uh, I don't know, I, I'm a bit intimidated. I, I guess I wasn't even really aware that Windows 8 was crushing down on uh i don't
0: know yeah windows 8 i'm surprised with how quickly all the game engines um jumped onto it because pretty much the week that it released a few days before like yoyo games uh skira stencil uh, unity all of them said that they already had windows 8 support ready to be launched the same day as windows 8 and i was like
4: what well, it's pretty impressive. Well, Construct and and Stencil they're so new too. Where Game Maker, it's been around for a few years, quite a few actually, over a decade. And, uh, yeah, we're, yeah, exactly. And then uh, Construct's only what three years old, even. It's Maybe. Kinda, yeah, <laughs> something <laughs> like that. Uh,
0: mm-hmm. It's, it's
4: becoming a crowded arena, I guess.
0: Yeah, definitely.
2: So, um, Fuck This Jam, a jam with, a game jam with the theme of making a game in a genre you hate started yesterday and will run until Saturday, November 17th. As of this moment, 1,426 jammers are signed up to participate in the jam. And you can also sign up or find more information on fuckthisjam.com.
0: Yep, um, Fuck This Jam, I'm actually entering it myself, and I believe you said that you were too Matt.
2: Uh, I'm thinking about it. I still need to come up with something I hate.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, but it spread really quickly. It's being run by um, Rami Ismail from Vlambeer, and oh god, I can't remember the other dude's name right now. I feel so terrible. Um, but they're running it, and obviously there's 1,400 people, which is quite a bit. They also have an IRC channel, um, which is available through their website on the, uh, esper.net network, just hashtag fuck this jam, And there's currently about 50 people in there, and they're all chatting about stuff. There's also teams that are available, so you can sign up to work in a team, which is what I'm doing.
1: Let's
0: go, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh... I'm really interested to see how this jam turns out because everybody's making a game based on a genre that they hate. So they're going to twist it. They're going to change the rules. They're going to...
2: Beautiful things will happen. Yeah. I'm actually glad... I'm glad that the restrictions are kind of, like, minimal for that because they're making you make something in a genre you hate. So at least it's a little open-ended with it.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yep, And they said that, like Rami, I was listening to him talking the IRC and he said that he really doesn't care about the rules. <laughs> so if you wanted to, um, you could do the jam as long as you want. Just the website, the like submission will only be open for these seven days. And yesterday, on November 9th, or if you're over in Australia or something, two days ago, <laughs> it started at 6pm your local time. And then it ends at 6 p.m. your local time on November 17th, as Matt said earlier. So that's seven days, and I hope to see some good things come out. And we'll talk about it again on the next Indie Radio broadcast. Possibly the next, depending on when, like, statistics and everything come out. So check that out. Alright, to start the bundle news, the humble bundle for Android 4... Is currently out with 12 days, 4 hours, 45, 47 minutes, and 51 seconds remaining. It has Splice, Euphoria, Waking Mars, Machininarium, Cran Physics Deluxe, and Super Brothers Sword and Sorcery EP. Machininarium, You have to pay over the average to get, which is currently at six dollars and eleven cents. And ooh, I just saw this for the first time. If you hover over Machininarium, it says check out Machininarium on the PS. And which is obviously PlayStation Network, so is it? Oh no, it's just saying that it's on the PlayStation Network. I was thinking that if you paid over the average, you get a PSN coupon. I was like, I'm buying this, but never mind. Um, there's been a bit over half a million payments so far, with one hundred thousand purchases, average purchase being six dollars and eleven cents, with Windows being cheap ass. People with $5.44 and Linux paying $8.83. And
1: then we have another bundle (laughs) from the Indie Royale, the Harvest Bundle. Um, The Harvest Bundle, the current minimum, is $5.44 because that's more important than the games included in it. The games included in it are Mutant (laughs) Buds on Windows and Desura, Pineapple Smash Crew on Steam, at least on the PC, Windows and Desura, uh, and spirits on CNPC, Mac, Windows, Mac, Linux, Desura, and I have no idea what OST stands for, but okay. Uh, Official <laughs> soundtrack. Oh, what's that? But you have to pay. Uh, what is it? You have to pay eight dollars or more to receive any of the, the album because soundtrack. Remind me of that. Uh, mm-hmm. There's Avernum, The Grey Trials trilogy, and Basket Bell, and all this is at least on uh, Desura and Windows. Um, so, you beat the minimum, and you can knock down the price for others, as usual, in case you haven't tuned in before, um, and, yeah, that's, that's the really cool thing about the Indie Royale, is just that if you're generous, then other people can have a lower minimum, so, it, it just kind of works out nicely.
0: hmm Yep, and then, they are having upcoming bundles, as always, um, the Stuffing Bundle, three weeks until served, the Winter Bundle, five weeks until served, and the Xmas Bundle, 2.0, six weeks until served. Alright, and then next is the Indie Gala 10, and I'm going to have to pass this off to Ian because somebody's at the door.
1: Okay, the Indie Gala 10. Happy hour is on. Okay, happy hour. So, double gifts during the happy hour, so you might want to hurry over there. Um, and new buyers for every beat the average. Ah, wait, what? Anyways, um, there is... The Omega Lunon, Praetorians, Rome Gold, Knights of Honor, Lead Gold, Majesty Two, East India Company, Elven Legacy, Hearts of Iron Two Complete, and secret bonuses for everyone who pays more than five dollars and eighty-five cents. You will unlock uh, secret bonuses in the second week. The King's Crusade, Commanders, uh, Commander Conquest of the Americas, and Smash It Volume Two, which appears to be some album. Hmm. Um. As usual, you can pay what you want, and they're them on Steam.
0: Yep, and the charity that they are helping is the Emilia Earthquake, which I haven't heard of before. Part of Charity Share can be donated to sustain Italian Red Cross and fundraising for the Emilia Romagna. Oh, God. An Italian region recently hit by an earthquake. I haven't heard about that, actually. But um, we also talked about the Indie Gala last broadcast, which was obviously two week, two weeks ago, and there are currently 42,200-something seconds left. I really don't like that they have it in seconds, because There's then you never...
1: it's about 11 hours. Yeah, so...
0: You never know when it's going to end, unless you do the
1: math. Watch it, away.
0: But that's obviously a marketing strategy, which is... Somewhat smart.
4: Could have it in microseconds next. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> seconds. How <What> about, like, <laughs> half the seconds or something?
1: Okay. Alright, All right, well, last weekend, Anybuskers
2: brand their um, second Pay What You Want bundle made up of seven crowd-suggested games that were each made in 48 hours. The bundle's participants were Hamumu Software, Sophie Holden, Dandy Dan, Phil Hassey, Ito Yee Haley, Friedrich Hannisch, Sauce Sasowski, um, and Pega Kujansu. For more information and the buy this bundle, you can visit indiebuskers.net where they also have each of the games listed.
0: Mm-hmm. And on the right, they also have their usernames such as Sophie, Ratking, um, Sauce, Pekuja, Tame Tick, Phil, Hamumu, and Celusius. So, so who can't listen in this
1: week. <laughs> But we love him because he's always in the IRC. Mm -hmm. Even now.
0: Yep. Yep, but currently um, six of the games have been developed, and one is still in the works, it says. They've accumulated a total of 1,387 euros and 75, I believe it would be cents. I'm not sure with euros.
2: I think it's pence. Yeah. Pence? All right. is (laughs) that British. I can't remember it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. And then Matt's going to take the final news article before we get into our interview.
2: All right. um, Douglas Wilson's convention favorite, Johann Sebastian Joss, a game that requires you to literally hit another's PlayStation Move remote, along with Noah Sasso's Barabari Ball, Bennett Foddy's... Super Pole Riders and Romero Corbetta's Hokura have launched a Kickstarter in order to see the release. The games plan to launch on PlayStation 3 via the PSN in fall 2013 with a Mac, PC, Linux release shortly afterwards. You can get the games by donating $15 to the Kickstarter, but for $30 you can also get Alpha versions shortly after the Kickstarter ends. Right now, there are $32,000 of $150,000 asked. And for more information, you can visit the Sports Friends Kickstarter page. Mm-hmm.
0: And that's just Sports Friends, one word. And then um, there's been 895 backers so far, and there's still 30 days to go. It was just released this morning. And uh, it, ends, <laughs> <laughs> it ends on Monday, December 10th. All right. And then they have prizes... For donating sixty, a hundred, five hundred, a thousand, three thousand, ten thousand, or more than ten thousand, and um, the biggest one, which is ten thousand, you get to choose which one you want. There's the Ultimate Sports Friends Package, everything in Sports eh, Sports Friends Forever tier, plus extra special credits in the final game, and one of us travel out to run a live Sports Friends event featuring. The ultra-exclusive 18-player Joust. Jost
2: Joust.
0: Joust? There we go. I'm like, wait a second. I'm not saying this right. And then the other one is an Ultimate Trampoline package. Cool. Alright. So, I'm going to play some music quick, and then we'll get into our interview. I forgot to mention this earlier, but we have an IRC channel, which is available on the Afternet.org network with hashtag IndieFunction, I-N-D-I-E-F-U-N-C-T-I-O-N. For those of you that don't have an IRC client, or would you rather just use a web um, client, you can go to it on the web at bit.ly slash Indie, I-N-D-I-E, and then in all caps, IRC. And it'll bring you right to the page that you can get to Indie function. Um, sometimes it gives you a uh, security error. Their HTTPS is messed up. Although it looks good now, but if you get that, just ignore it. I've never had a problem with them. And it's where the Ludum Dare IRC is hosted, so it's all safe. But anyway, let's get to our interview. Today with us we have John Clouder. And hey, yeah. <laughs> he has a Kickstarter going on right now for his game Moments in Silence. Or Moments of Silence, sorry. Yeah.
4: He,
0: he only has 42 backers as of right now with 793 of his $2,400 goal. There's still 25 days left to go. And uh, could you tell us a little bit about the game?
4: Sure. Uh, moments of Silence It is kind of like, uh, I guess... An advancement on a lot of the techniques and ideas I had uh, developed in my previous project middens but it's more were as less of a a strict objective than an experiential goal where by that I mean the the ultimate goal is more the the journey I guess than the end battle (laughs) and uh, it's it takes a lot of inspiration from things that I have been uh, fascinated by throughout my life, um, specifically like uh, more than just like 1940s surrealism, but um, contemporary artists like John Spankmeyer, who I'm a big fan of. He's a Czech stop-motion artist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I highly suggest you actually check out his works. I uh, had the misfortune, in a sense, of being the very cynical um, stop-motion, kind of like uh, he uses taxidermied animals in his stop-motion videos. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, they have kind of a macabre uh, atmosphere, but they're kind of ingeniously um, unusual and dreamlike. And Moments of Silence is kind of a satire. I guess I was writing it throughout the, the period that the United States uh, presidential election was happening. <laughs> <laughs> so I was getting kind of, uh, I guess, very cynical myself about um, our political process, especially, you know, it's not hard to do that, I guess, in 2012. Um between Romney and Obama. And it's not that it's didactic or political in that sense. It's just that the kind of the reality show like theatrics that have entered our politics has a kind of a nightmarish, I don't know, impact on on my unconscious. I don't know. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
4: so uh, the moments of silence, you, you start with a character – who is swappable with another character, kind of a twin character, and you'll switch off in uh, moments of astral projection. Uh, I don't know if astral projection requires... It's kind of like a supernatural phenomenon where someone is said to leave their body... Their soul is said to leave their body when they're dreaming. Hmm. Right. Yeah, and uh, there's a lot of kind of like New Age... Fanfare about astral projection. Although this is less a you know a new age tome than it is kind of just a a fun play at the idea Uh, and the possibilities of exploring outside your physical body. Yeah, (laughs) cool. As a soul entity.
0: (laughs) So, how long have you been developing it then?
4: Well, Moments of Silence, it began as a, like Middens, it actually began as a story um, that I had been writing. Writing was something that I had done when I was young, younger, and I kind of aspired to be a writer, but it, it just seemed really thankless, and eventually I guess I, I kind of got disheartened in it, and sought to, to move on to other mediums, and maybe combine um what I was doing with writing to maybe something that I could depict in film or in games, and uh, the original story um, began with a it was a like a mock event where this king to be was announcing its date of birth from a mammogram. <laughs> 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 it was like broadcasted on national television and it was just kind of a a joke again kind of on what I was seeing politically and from there I I guess I advanced it into other realms and other stories that I'd also been working on so um with that it's it's been about probably a year two years now that I've worked on it on and off and uh, I worked on it while I was working on and finishing up Middens, which was three years, about almost four, counting the um, the conceptual stages wow. as well. As, yeah.
2: So uh, I wanted to ask, how is Moments of Silence a continuation of Middens? I mean, I look at it and it's got your style to it and it's got the same kind of like makes you think kind of atmosphere but
4: how is it directly a continuation? well it's not directly a continuation it's kind of like a what would you say it's like a like a continuation would be successive you know like an heir, and then you have this um, successor where this is more um, in the same classroom it's like a peer to middens where it takes place, and the same continuity, the same universe, except that it's it's touching on something else. And the ways that it directly connects, though, is more of a more of something that I would think would be a surprise, like a, a narrative twist. So I wouldn't want to really give that away, but it would um, it does carry a lot of the motifs. where in like middens. Um, I was really fascinated by worms <laughs> <laughs> while I was writing it. And uh, I guess I had read that Darwin was really obs- – he was obsessed with worms. that so He kept a bunch of them like pets and he would uh, observe them and write journals about them. And they are fascinating because they, they pass unnoticed but they account for like the majority of life forms on the planet. <laughs> Do they really? Yeah, yeah, like the nematodes and all the yeah the varieties of them. There's just thousands, and they're everywhere. They're in the water. They're capable of surviving under extreme conditions, and they're strange to me because they're they seem kind of mindless in the way that they're. It's like they're death dumb and blind, (laughs) but they're just like um, they remind me of like veins. Like if you were to give put a soul in like a disembodied tangle of spine or something, and it would <laughs> adopt wow. some kind of life, and I, I, there's something mythic and interesting about them to me, and I, I guess in this, I, um, a lot of the society, where in Midens, the, the environment was kind of tunneled and structured by the, the vermiforms, the worms that lived within it, and this it's similar, where the worms are used to, in a particular instance, like purify a water supply. So they're dumped in these canals that run throughout the city, and it would be like they would be in your tap and everything, but they would be harmless and purify the water, eating the impurities in it. (laughs) That's so cool. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I'm fascinated by, I guess, a lot of zoology and microbiology and things like that. Uh, so.
2: I also. I'm, like, fascinated with the way you've taken a lot of these images and just, like, thrown them together. Is there. Do you just kind of, like, piece them together and see what fits? Or do you, like, have this ulterior motive with a lot of them? Like, they're very deliberately put together to convey a specific
4: message. Okay. Well, uh, with me, it's really, I I could say it's like, you know, 50, 50, but it's, it's not exactly where, uh, my style of working, I tend to build what I call like a toy box. I like to build lots and lots of resources. I tend to build about 300% more resources than I need ultimately. And then I, I like to form a narrative out of the resources I've built. So like, You know, if you see a a kid, they'll have that big toy box, and then they'll get the the toys out. At least I did. I I guess it's different nowadays. But uh, you'd get your action figures, and you'd formulate a narrative based off what you had available. And you would have to mismatch this narrative because you didn't always have, you know, like the whole series of, let's say, uh, Batman figurines or alien figurines or anything like that. You'd have to mismatch them and formulate your own narrative just based off what you have your your resources available and with me I, I tend to go through a phase where I'll try to unconsciously build resources and when I say unconsciously I mean not that it lacks intelligence or um, intention but that I'm primarily um, working from a subconscious impulses than the desire to say something explicitly I, this you trust that what your unconscious impulses are, are intelligent. That, like when you dream, and your dreams formulate a meeting, and it's really hard to believe that while you're sleeping you could imagine something on um, as elaborate or intricate or symbolically potent as what you have. Uh, it, it comes out of the fact that the unconscious actually has a, a very strong intelligence, an intuitive intelligence. I try to channel that. So... Um, I don't always work with intentions or um, the desire to say something outright. Let's say um, someone will approach a story and they'll be like, OK, I want to tell a story about poverty and how poverty is bad. And this is going to say this and this. And they have a bullet point, of all the plot points, all the characters. Well, when they go to manifest that idea, they're really restricting themselves quite severely because what they might discover in the act of writing it is that it really doesn't work. Uh, as the, the characters want to do other things, the story wants to go other directions. Um, I think it was Dostoevsky, wrote uh, War and Peace, and he said, I, I, I started this book with an intention, and I, I get the reverse of what I intended to say. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's kind of interesting, uh, because when I'm writing some of my stories... <clears throat> Um, if I get, like, writer's block, you know, or if I'm not sure where to go next with the story, I pretty much just stop writing it for a while and just think about it from time to time, and the story actually tells itself to me, and yeah. I think that would be through my subconscious stuff, like, I'll I'll, phys- I'll mentally see, like, images and, like, what happens next in the story, as if the story's pretty much telling itself to me. So, that was kind of interesting hearing that somebody else has a similar... Um, take on that
4: yeah I'm I think it's actually more ideal than the alternative when you try to say something outright you really it's almost condescending you're um you, it leads to didacticism where you're just really trying to preach um I see a lot of developers actually following this path and they end up imitating things um creating things that are intended to be epics, are intended to be fantasies. So they you know, they have this uh, really banal criteria of, of motifs that you've seen a thousand times, and it's, it ends up being really contrived. Um, and I was influenced a lot by Eastern um, philosophy, uh, not to put it on a pedestal over Western, but they have more of an appreciation of kind of natural methods of developing ideas where like the Tao Te Ching talks about how law creates criminality law creates perversion how the desire to control actually creates issues and they use like an example let's say like of a muddy pond right and let's say you want to separate the mud uh, from the water so you stir it of course that just circulates the mud further and further muddies it so that it's best just to let it be uh, and try to detach yourself from the situation so you can see things more clearly.
2: Hmm. Yeah, so um, with that in mind, I'd like to ask, do you think middens went in a direction that you wanted it to go, or did you start to contradict yourself towards the end? Well, no,
4: <laughs> middens is pretty funny, actually. I uh, It started as something that... I guess, had more of an intention than it was um, rooted in a lot of of my more explicit beliefs. And I had to kind of shave it. I had to um, narrow it down to what was ultimately the most important story that I wanted to tell. And that ended up being the relationship between the nomad and his weapon. Uh, it, it did kind of congeal over time to be something that i think is actually better than i probably could have built otherwise Uh, by that i mean that when i had begun it i wasn't always certain of how things would pan out i wasn't always certain if i was going a direction that was constructive towards um, something playable in fact i really didn't realize minutes would even be playable or enjoyable until it probably was about eighty percent ninety percent done (laughs) because <laughs> it was yeah it was just uncertain I had a, a guess that perhaps or a hope that this would all turn out but there was just no way of fathoming how a player would really react to it until it was done
0: Um, going back to that eastern philosophy stuff where would we find some more information if we wanted to read up about that
4: well, actually, I, I would recommend um, kind of direct contact with these these books that have been, you know, kind of like a, an eternal, you know, not to be um, too, I guess, you know, to someone uninitiated, I guess that would seem like, you know, flowery prose or something in praise of them. But they've been kind of an eternal source of wisdom for mankind for a long time. And I think that in contemporary times – People really get away from that. They get away from um, these philosophies, which really are, are cornerstones not only for a healthy life, like mentally, but uh, for creativity. Hmm. Um, the Tao Te Jing is one. Uh, that's the Lao Tzu um, book where he was it's stated to have, have, he was a sage who was uh, basically fleeing his, his country. And he was stopped by the border guard who then asked him to inscribe his wisdom in uh, in a book so that he could pass it on to, to people. And this is a, possibly a myth, but it is something that is not perhaps initially understood. To someone who is not really uh, aware of these ideas, they're going to read it and it's going to seem like a lot of paradox and a lot of asinine, pretentious comments like, like the then there would be a comment in the the Doaging where he would state the name that you say is not the real name yeah and uh, the other book that I would recommend is if you can afford the full translation by Ramesh Menon, probably the best that I've read is the Mahabharata, which is somewhat of the Indian Bible, I guess you could say except that it's told in a... And really, like, it's a lot like Lord of the Rings, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in fact, I think that probably Tolkien, um, as an etymologist, would have studied Sanskrit, as Sanskrit is the Indian um, like mother language. It's really considered kind of like the, the fountain of all modern languages, more so than like Latin is for the Western languages. Well, this would have spawned let's say perhaps even Latin. It's kind of like the linchpin. And this was written 5,000 years ago, and it describes a civil war with kind of um, worldwide um, repercussions uh, and just touches on pretty much everything. It said that there's really nothing in uh, life that is not in the Mahabharata. And at ten times the length of the Iliad and the Odyssey... It's pretty, pretty plausible. (laughs) So, um,
2: I'd like to go back to middens for one minute before we move on. Um, There was actually a point where in the game I started to actually feel bad for the creatures of the world. They would, like, start telling me not to kill them and not to kill their kids. And (laughs) as far as I could tell, there was no way to, like, just put down my weapon and walk away. So, like, did you really want people to think about, like, hey, I'm killing a creature of some world that I don't belong to?
4: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you know, I guess I also have, uh, you know, it's self-satisfying in one aspect because, you know, I actually do enjoy unsettling people to a certain degree. Uh, I think that art is not merely meant to entertain people or to pass their time, but it, it should also... Criticize society, and perhaps even um, be an affront to the person who interacts with it. To challenge them, and uh, I was a huge fan of a lot of the RPGs I played, um, like in the 16-bit golden era. I mean, you know, I'm an '80s kid, so that's that was the time I was growing up. And in those stories, you would always have to, I I basically genocide these species. (laughs) and without any repercussion and it it was fine within the logic of that story but today in games this idea of power dominance of defeating everything with a weapon has really become almost um dominant to the point where it's it's very hard to find a game that explores other subject matter and it becomes this like wish fulfillment where you just want to uh, of a desire to kill things, things that are sentient. And as games have grown more realistic over time, I, it really becomes more and more disturbing. Uh, the first time that I played like when Resident Evil 4, I think I was uh, in my my late, late teens, and I hadn't played games in a long time, but the acclaim of that uh, game had drawn me to it. And so I sat down and played it, and I was actually... I couldn't play more than a, about an hour of it because the resemblance the targets had to just normal human civilians, even though they're moaning at you, you know, like, they, really they just seemed like disabled people to me. <laughs> 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 and I, I just felt, wow, this is this is really too much. And with Middens, I wanted to, you can go through the game and enjoy it as something that's strictly audiovisual for the most part. But to proceed in it, you are in a way forced both by your the narrator uh, as the gun and by the desire to accomplish something. But these, it is. I don't know. I, I it's something that I wanted to give to players. So I guess to incite them to think about it, at least. <laughs> Well, you've done a good job,
2: <laughs> and from judging by the the um, trailer for Moments of Silence, you're going to continue that because you've already covered some pretty heavy topics between like wanting to get rid of everyone that's not similar to you, and the whole thing of abortion. And the trailer was there.
4: Well, yeah, I uh, on the moment on the Kickstarter, I wasn't even sure that it would be. Possible to get to honor any money, In a way I—I I don't know if it could, um, if we'll meet our quote, Even though it's been successful so far, just because the the thematic matter is just so confrontational. Uh, in the, I made a new trailer, which is seen, which is still somewhat controversial in the fact that it it touches somewhat on religious subject matter in depicting a, a deity, but I was. Frightened, honestly, I, I shirked away from showing the trailer that references the portion because it's become such a a hot-button issue for people. Uh, it's so sensitive that I, I I wasn't sure how people would react. <laughs> I'm actually kind of
2: impressed that you went to the trouble to like reference such a thing and to get people to think about it in such a way.
4: Uh, I, I there's only a few games that I know of. Who um, it, it's strange because games are really. I mean, like even from I was. Um, now I'm not. Let's say Buddhist or a Hindu. I just I'm fascinated really by the philosophy. But um, there is a lot of similarities between how games um, depict reality and what. A lot of Eastern philosophy references reality to be. Hmm. So it creates this weird um, kind of meta issue where you're playing an avatar in a game. Um, and you're kind of faded, right? But you do have free choice. And it can put up all these kind of dilemmas, really. These dilemmas that really haven't been touched upon, existential dilemmas. And I think that's becoming more and more obvious, the potential of that, as games are becoming more realistic and they're starting to really blend with reality. Uh, but so far, you know, you don't really see a lot of that in games. And I suppose that's because they're so expensive to produce um, on the mainstream scale now. But that's why I'm a purporter of the, the indie movement, because I believe that perhaps maybe we can... Um, Touch upon those those broader and more really significant ideas, um, maybe for <laughs> the, the betterment of consciousness. Hmm. Wow.
0: I really like that. <clears throat> yeah, I um, do too.
2: That's quite the philosophy. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. <laughs> don't mean to, like. Oh, did we lose somebody? No, you
4: didn't lose me, but
0: got really quiet. All right, I thought I yeah, lost something.
3: <laughs>
0: Matt, could I? Oh, Matt. Matt muted himself, I see. Um, what I was going to say is, like, I, I've actually never heard of you before this. Uh, Matt sent me the link, and I'm like, ooh, that looks interesting. And um, you're definitely on my list of developers to keep up to date with.
4: Well, thank you for that. I, I really hope um, we're able to... Uh, generate some really great material over the years I, I hope I, I was approached um, by one of uh, the creator of uh, Are you guys familiar with the cactus games at all yep yes yeah. and he's a uh, was a huge inspiration to me honestly I was I've never beaten any of his games because they're really <laughs> hard <laughs> but, but I, I, I would always play them and he had actually approached me um, and we were talking for a little bit, and it was just a huge compliment to even um, to have someone who I had really held in high esteem to, to talk to me and actually acknowledge um, my work in the same medium. That was really cool.
0: <laughs> wow. That, that is really cool. We're hoping to do an interview with him soon. He said that he'd be up for it, just he hasn't gotten back to us in a while, so. I yeah. Guess- I can send you the link to that if you'd like to listen to it when it happens.
4: Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, I'd love that.
0: Yeah, um, uh, I did kind of think of Cactus when I saw some of the artwork for the game, and I'm like, hey. So, yeah, I can he, definitely he see the inspiration. The,
4: yeah, I really enjoy his stuff as well as um, the, the works of the, the creators. You mentioned it, Machinarium, and... Mm-hmm. he i first uh discovered him now he, he's also Czech, and i actually don't know his name um probably because of the you know somewhat of the language barrier i just don't retain it as well but he um he started out with that the samros did you have you played those the, the point and click his early point and click games yeah. yes
0: i don't think i have
4: oh yeah those i'd highly recommend they're um what really struck me about his visual style was that he went out and he photographed the forest, the Czechoslovakian forest, hmm. and then he collaged, I guess, creatures out of it. Not not only creatures, but ships. And so a lot of the environments you're seeing in his early games were actually just um, extracted from photographs he had taken. Wow! And they're really well done. Like a, I, <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> And uh, that's that's to me was also an inspiration. This because the ingenuity of doing something like that to create environments that are really astoundingly beautiful. And uh, of course, I, I doubt that that costed him nothing, but really, I, I, I suppose his time to compose those um, landscapes. So.
0: Wow! See, I, I really like creativity like that, and that's what I think I really like about indie games is you know how. There's no boundaries, you know, people are always coming up with new ideas and stuff like that just really makes me think and like, it makes me happy seeing that people are able to think so outside the box that they could go out and take pictures and make creatures out of them. That's
4: Yeah, it is really, really cool. Uh, I think that one thing that people get jaded by is a lot of resources in a sense where um, with let's say a big budget film uh, on scale of like something like uh, a superhero movie, right? That would receive an enormous um, budget. This this film has, is probably going to rely on the standards of the industry to display what they they want because they can afford to. So they're going to buy into the CGI, and not that that CGI itself is inferior at all. I, I don't hold that belief, but it, it it's something that is certainly. I'm just the standard of this age. Whereas an indie uh, developer, they're going to have such limitations that and many times they're going to be forced to think outside the box to accomplish what they want. Um, So in an evolutionary way, you could... You know, a a big-budget film might be like a dinosaur that has big claws and big teeth, and it can just rip into anything. But an indie gamer, you know, they have to develop camouflage. They have to develop... Um, ulterior methods of survival because that's all they can really do (laughs) so uh,
2: since you mentioned that um, he got most of his resources for those games from like the forest and such I, I wanted to ask where do you get most of your resources like it looks like a lot of them come out of different kind of pictures of like skeletons and medical textbooks and stuff
4: yeah, that's that's true. Uh, I started um, my first work. Did I lose everyone? Oh uh, no! Oh no! Okay, okay. <laughs> All right. So my first um, work was really I, I drawn, and I, I was kind of a conventional artist for a long time. And then I, I started developing um, an interest in collage after I had been introduced to uh, this book called Un Cement de Monte, which is a a collage text and um, Ill- illustrated book by Max Ernst the, the 1940s surrealist and I he had just taken these black and white etchings of um, for penny novels basically penny novel is like a romance novel of the day you know it's just um, something kind of like garbage I mean I shouldn't say that but <laughs> <laughs> right but it's uh, it's just not something a lot of people pay attention to or read. It's just kind of it out there. And, and he'd taken these and he'd composed these really fantastic, agoric, um, hallucinogenic, and provocative um, scenes. And I was really struck by that. So I, I started entering into collage. And over the years, I've, I've worked in collage for probably over a decade now. And in that time, I'd never stopped accumulating um, resources, and uh, at, at present, I think I have about—I mean, I, it's almost like it's, uh, more resources probably than the Library of Congress has <laughs> 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 in terms of these illustrated texts, because it becomes so fascinating. You're learning as you're discovering these, and um, I, I take a—I borrow a lot from. Um, zoographic and texts of like the 18th um, century or earlier. A lot of times I, I like to borrow from the medieval texts because they had such a, a different philosophy aesthetically that you're getting a very unique look. And you're also being kind of introduced to ideas that you wouldn't conventionally see just in observing the resources that you're borrowing from. uh uh, some of a lot of it is hand-drawn and i have gone to kind of great lengths to disguise my resources so that it's not such this something blatantly borrowed but something recreated um there is uh other collage artists like contemporarily who i see and it's kind of evident that they'll they'll just take the image as it is and paste it without even really mincing it, without really processing it into something new. I think that collage is a lot like alchemy or actually poetry. When you write something, right, you're not inventing new words for every thought that you want that you want to express. That what you're doing is you're borrowing from a lexicon of symbols that already exist. And at this point, I think that we're at such a saturation globally, philosophically conceptually, uh, symbolically, that a lot of these images, they already exist. And the uh, um, method of mincing them apart and combining them is actually probably leading to a more naturalistic uh, um, method of recreating things. And by that, I mean that really nothing is new. It's just kind of breeded together. It's recreated and alchemized.
0: Hmm. I don't even know what to say. That's, huh. That's such a cool way of looking at it.
4: <laughs> it's kind of wild. <laughs> it is weird because we'll, I guess today people grow up with the model of copyright and grow up with the idea that you can own an idea where as... Uh, the philosophy I think that is more useful is that if you, if you understand an idea, then that idea is yours. Right? <laughs> <laughs> the understanding an idea is the only qualification you need to possess that idea.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm going to um, talk about with my story writing process, um, I come up with a story And then I borrow some things from all sorts of other sources. So, like, let's say that I'm watching a movie and I really like something. I might somehow try to incorporate that idea into it, kind of like you're saying. And then, like, a lot of biblical stories and mythology stories um, are present in my works. And I kind of put a twist on them. So... um, Yeah, yeah.
1: I think most people probably do that at a subconscious level as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look back, you might notice that, hey, like I was putting in all these things that normally I wouldn't put in like now, but it looks odd. But back then it's because, oh, hey, I had just read about this or something. And so I guess that's why I put that in there. And mm-hmm. I don't know it's just the things you've been doing lately, like the, since there's so much uh, entertainment, like media and stuff, it, it influences everyone heavily, I think, in terms of just everything they do, basically.
0: Yeah, definitely. Like, um, when Skyrim came out, um, I wasn't really into it at the time, I thought it was really dumb. (laughs) But, um, they had dragons in it, and all of a sudden I got the idea to put dragons in one of my games and to have it, so you have to collect each one of their breaths, in a way, so you have to, like, collect it and then it gives you new powers and stuff.
4: Well, that's cool. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, like, um, one example that I see a lot in of just how de- consciousness developed is when you look at old monsters from, like, the medieval period or before, what they are is they're just mismatches of other creatures. You'll get, like, the griffin, which is, you know, the ho- what is it, the horse and the lion and the bird.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think so, yeah.
4: But, yeah, and then you'll get, um, right, the chimera, which is, you know, the the, the lion, the goat and so forth. Mm -hmm. So, today, we have been, at the state of globalization, we have been introduced to so many varieties and permutations of the monster that it's now possible to create highly abstract creatures. But, in a day where all, their only reference point was like, let's say, you know, um, the animals around them, then to recreate these... They couldn't just invent like a like let's say a, think of a really abstract monster was like or like let's say even like a, a show like a Adventure Time or a, a movie or, or a series like Final Fantasy
3: mm-hmm.
4: where the creatures are really bizarre, ironic, and you know you'll have mermaids with uh, fiery hair and you'll in Final Fantasy have. Creatures that, they, uh, uh, they don't even really res- resemble creatures anymore, they're mechanical, mm-hmm. they're hybrids of everything, and uh, I, it just shows that that we've kind of taken for granted that we are still borrowing, that we can't really pull things from outside our reality.
0: A really good example of that I think would be that game Spore, where you can actually create your own creatures, depending on like what body parts you have.
4: Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is a very good example. I, uh, I remember Spore. I, I never got to play it, but I, I a lot of people were... Yeah, there was a, kind of like an antagonistic feeling around Spore, I remember. <laughs> it, it just didn't quite live up to what it was supposed to be. That's it. Yeah. It, it is too bad. I, I guess I... SimCity was such a huge series and even The Sims when it was first released and I, I guess it's it's too complex now. I feel like it's not simplistic enough to really appeal to people. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I guess Nintendo's a good example of a company that has remained highly like bigoted towards its notions of of simplicity and and it's all uh, notion of what it wants to create and, and has actually endured for it because um, its um, fealty to the simplicity has really helped it out where a lot of um, companies have gone down a highly ambitious path and just kind of imploded under the weight of their ideas and just couldn't just, it wasn't possible really
0: <laughs> uh, Matt could you speak quick? He said that he's having audio problems.
4: Oh. Oh. Hi.
0: Yep. We hear you just fine. <clears throat> are you talking now? <laughs>
2: um, no. Anyways. Um, so, going back to moments of silence, um, I saw that you're doing a lot of physical rewards. Like, what are you planning for the um, case... The physical copies of the discs, like the cases, are you planning like something really big for that or just kind of
4: hand it out in jewel cases? Well, I, I would never want to do anything. The, the physical copy to me is a, is a token and it's kind of uh, not only of your investment um, and your help, but also it's a material record of the game that I made. And when uh, the games are purely, per, uh, purely immaterial... You know, they're, they're really just bound to be – it's like the physical object has its own kind of gravitas where an immaterial object really doesn't. Even if mentally it's really great and everything, you just kind of go on to the next thing. But having a physical object, you return to it. You see the cover, right? You, you might own a, a, an NES um, cartridge and just finding it, rediscovering it is going to remind you of that game. And it kind of speaks to you at a, I think, at a deeper level than an immaterial uh, game. And I, I think that that becomes something that really needs to be recognized by, by indie developers. Whereas I wouldn't expect now because it becomes too expensive to mass produce these and they wouldn't have the means. But I think offering that option to people who truly believe in your vision is highly rewarding uh so i physical rewards i wanted to make that a priority um a lot of it just depends if i uh on the total that we get if if i if we accumulate enough then i would i plan to spend every amount in creating something that is up to standard and really beyond because artistically it's personalized in a way that a uh a real game um, disc com- commercially distributed in a store wouldn't be. Um, you get, let's say, you know, box art for any number of games, and it ends up being this um, highly generic, like um, almost like what would you say, uh, bleached white um, CGI rendering of, of the characters, and it's uninspired and not really aesthetically pleasing, and it doesn't really carry any artistic merit. Where I would try to, as an indie developer, appeal via my um, creative ingenuity, via my style. And so, in distributing these discs, I hope that they will be kind of a uh, a reflection of that. In that I, I want them to have personalized jewel cases with art, both by Shayna and I. And uh, Shana being my collaborator. Um, and... Also, the disc to have something uh, to have a cover that would also kind of speak to the content of the game in an artistic and meaningful way.
2: Yeah. Actually, just looking around the room, see quite a few uninspired cases.
0: <laughs> yeah, like go take Final Fantasy 13. Um, that's just. The title, the main character, Lightning on it, and white background.
4: Yeah. I, you know, I'm, I was replaying the, the Final Fantasy IX, so it was on my mind. Um, and I was thinking, because well, we have all those discs, right? And mm-hmm. at a point, you just don't have really the, the, what would you, the capital to go and buy these highly expensive games. And so you're going to return to what you have and that's one reason i want to give out physical disc but it was interesting to see like cuz when, you know i played it so long ago i, I guess that game's almost yeah it's over it's it's over a decade old now i think it was released yeah in wasn't it 2000? 2000 yeah and that just seems wild to me now because i remember a time where it was like heralded it as the very like forefront of technological progress in games and CGI. And you can see scenes where the developers really wanted you to pay attention to the beauty of what they were conveying. And
0: Yeah, it's great uh, for a PS1 game.
4: Yeah, it really does. And I was also noticing like, in a narrative, um, you don't have voices. And in a way, that's actually better because you're able to project the kind of character onto those personalities that you would like them to have. Whereas the voice kind of constricts you and makes you believe that they are something, a a character really outside your outside your psyche, outside of you. And and it could make them less relatable and annoying in many cases when the voice acting is just terrible.
0: (laughs) No, too many examples of that. (laughs) yeah that's something that the legend of zelda games have done and uh they've mentioned that like zel er, or well derp link has never had a voice in the games other than you know like some like fighting move sounds and they said that (laughs) they did that so you could give link his own voice and his own personality and it wouldn't mold him to anything you know so,
3: yeah. Um,
0: I want to say I read that in Game Informer when um, Skyward Sword came out, but I can't remember if it was that.
4: I think that's a really good example. And there's some where Nintendo, they must have very definitive ideas uh, of creativity. They're really, perhaps because they have really been the underdog in many ways, where Sony and Microsoft are conglomerate companies. At this point, and and Nintendo, you know, they're really just invested in, in game making. So I guess they would have to um, hold truer to these these philosophical angles than, let's say, Sony that can just rely on, let's say, its brawn, its the brawn of its uh, graphical uh, capabilities, and, and Microsoft as well. Uh, there was. Um, an example I was going to use, oh, yeah, well, there's um, there's a saying. There's an, uh, a saying that, you know, we build a house, but it's the empty space inside the house that makes it useful, right? Because that's what you, you fill with all the stuff you want. Or that there's a bowl, right? But the bowl itself is useless. It's the empty space inside the bowl that holds <laughs> what we want. So I think that that is a really important element of game design, the uh, idea of negative space and giving um, the player space to to place themselves in.
0: Never thought of it that way.
4: So social networks are like (laughs) (laughs) bowls.
0: Ian, of course... You're silent the entire time, and then you come in, and you have the perfect line. <laughs> so, um, right now, you're looking at about $800, which is a third of your goal in five days. Um, which ways have you done to market it so far?
4: Well, I, I marketed it through most of my um, my sites that were they would have allowed it I suppose I I'm trying to really get more of an outreach except one of the difficulties of being an indie developer is that you have to I suppose be um, not only the producer but you have to be the advertiser as well and I can feel very alien <laughs> to people Uh I'm not someone necessarily really comfortable with with that role, so I I, I often find it a kind of a I guess a struggle to know where the where to start. Um, I am really succeeding mostly by the help of, of other people who have been tweeting. Um, Kickstarter has a a system where you can see, I guess, where your um, funds are arriving from or where. Um, backers have originated from and what i'm seeing is that a lot of them are coming from twitter and these social networking sites and only a very small fraction are actually coming from Kickstarter itself only about 20 percent, which is pretty startling and i think a lot of that has to do with the fact that kickstarter they're kind of they're not very faithful to their their projects in a sense they'll give you the staff pick they'll give you the they'll screen you but you only get about 15 seconds, you know, and then it's on to the next show. So at this point, I think that uh, to fulfill our goal, I'm going to have to probably pursue advertising just to um, initiate people into what I'm doing and to, to put myself out there because I would suppose that, you know, that um, 99% of more, probably more than that, of uh, the base that would be interested in, in the kind of games that I'm creating um, have not even heard of what I of who I am or, or what I'm doing or the Kickstarter itself.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, um, I did tweet it, and I liked it and posted it on Facebook, so hopefully that'll help a little. And then... Well, thank you very much. Um, we can definitely help you a bit with putting it in Indie Magazine because we always put the interviews that we do in the magazine. So we can put... Uh, link to that on there. And, um, <clears throat> we just started back up the magazine. Let me check how many views the current issue is at. The current issue is at 405 views over a period of about five, six days. Oh, that's very good. hmm And then, um, some of our issues get up to about 1,200 views. That's uh maximum we've ever gotten. So, hopefully that'll bring some people towards your Kickstarter, and then obviously, whoever's listening to this, should go support it. And Matt, are you still there? Yeah. Okay. I saw that the thing cut out again for you, so...
2: Yeah. Yeah, I actually think we should support Kickstarters like his more than a lot of other ones, because they do bring... A lot of creativity and just new elements to gaming as opposed to other ones that are kickstarting the same idea in a different skin, hoping that people will, you know, fund them based on being something that they liked in the
0: past. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> I'm going to make you look into the future a bit more. What do you plan on doing after Moments of Silence is all finished?
4: Well, after Moments of Silence, uh, I have an additional project that I've been working on, although less so. It's kind of in the, the back burner. It, it was uh, one that I was hoping to share with, the I think, the Institute for Expanding Consciousness. It sounds like a very goofy, but it's actually a, a company or an organization that, um, um, founded by David Lynch, director David Lynch. Are you, are you familiar at all with his works? Uh, I think um, so. He would be. He, yeah, like Head is primarily what he's known for. Inland Empire, um, and so forth. And he uh,
0: did he do the Elephant yeah, Man?
4: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's also right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. So, he, he, um, this they try to um, encourage. Uh, interest in meditation, in just a, a lot of worthwhile activities, and I had wanted to try to produce a game that would somewhat educate people on meditation, on methods of um, relaxation, of uh, it was it would use the theoretical idea of chakras, which are also present in middens, but in a much more stringent manner. It, it's only, it would almost be, I suppose, like a virtual pet, but it would be something that would really correspond to to actual um, ideas of how to meditate, how to expand um your your chakras and so forth. So it, it isn't it's, it's something to have a niche appeal, but it is somewhat of a, a, a more of a personal project, I suppose.
3: Hmm. Sounds
4: um, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> It'll it should be fun. I would never take it. You know, you shouldn't take anything too seriously.
0: <laughs> DJ uh, DJD Duty in the IRC just said that uh, he retweeted the post with the Kickstarter link.
1: Also in the IRC, we have a question from Zack the Great. Is there any way to get away from this idea of alchemizing other existing concepts together? That I'll ever walk away from it?
0: Um, well, is there a way for uh, anybody to get away from it? Yeah,
4: I I think that's what he was asking. To get away from it? Yeah Wow, so, so that they could be creating something totally unknown. Yeah. Uh, I I don't think so. I mean, like, in a sense, well, this is what... Let me put it more um, helpfully. I I would say that you can... A lot of people try to make something different, but it ends up being like everything else. And they try to strive for these epic concepts. And the way to really be truly original is to to combine things unconventionally and it's not that you're combining them consciously that should be really advised against. It's not that you go and you go, Hey, I really like, I really like this and Ryan's idea of capitalism, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to combine that with maybe some, some, strict Marxist doctrines or it's more of the, a uh, the free flowing, activity where you would naturally do this but you're releasing yourself from observing your own creativity under a microscope. I guess a lot of people they they almost engineer something in reverse. They decide what they want to say before they say it. Whereas really I think that it's a much more artistically um, potent way of speaking, if you speak, explore a subject, investigate it, not knowing beforehand the answer, and perhaps you discover it in portraying what you didn't understand. (laughs) (laughs) I, (laughs) I don't think that there is a way to escape it any more than there is a way to really imagine something that you've never heard of or never seen or have no reference point for. It would be like, for instance, a builder, right? If you want to build a house, you have to find materials to build it. You're not going to build your house out of materials that don't exist, right? (laughs) Because even if you're building those materials that don't exist yet, Those materials that don't exist yet, you're going to build those from other materials that do exist.
0: That makes a lot of sense.
1: (laughs) This is like the 50th time I've reconsidered life during this interview.
0: Pretty much.
3: (laughs) (laughs)
1: Wow. By the way, Zach says thank you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Oh, birthday shout out to Zach the Great! By the way, we told him that we do that the last broadcast. So everybody, happy birthday to Zach!
1: It's in four days actually, yeah. but early happy birthday. Mm-hmm.
4: happy birthday! Happy birthday! So you're, you're a Scorpio. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, DJ Duty or DJ D Duty? I I always say DJ Duty, but there's a D before the duty. Yeah, God. Slipped
1: um, it in there for no reason.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, Sorry, I came a little bit late, but how long have you been doing game design?
4: Uh, well, this is kind of funny because I I attempted when I was very young. Actually, um, some of the first game software was just released, probably when I was about 11, 12. And at that point, I had really rigor- rigorously... I, attempted to produce something and I did I I worked for for about a year or and and further on these projects and then I I saw them completed and decided they were terrible (laughs) (laughs) these really don't work at all and at that point um I had shied away from it for a few few years and it had always remained an interest of mine and At that point, I started focusing more on my fine art. But uh, fine art is actually in a pretty poor situation right now um, because of the amount of art that is present over the Internet. It isn't to say the Internet is is bad or is ruining art or anything like that, but it's rather that um, there is so much art available freely on the Internet that you can be endlessly occupied. You can just run on Tumblr. You could... And, and fixate your attention on it for, for hours and hours and hours, never breaking away. Because you're seeing a constant influx of new imagery um, created by fine artists. And this it's almost made um, fine art, a it's not an inferior medium, but it's one that's almost become more of a, a resource for other projects than itself really a, an unappreciated and supported art form. Mm-hmm. um i i i have i i'm supposed some people could really quite potently you know and and um caustically disagree with me but it, it it's just for instance in collage i worked in collage for many years and even in a medium like collage there's this endless artist working in that same medium but the higher you go let's say uh, every every so many people have the skill to draw a picture right well when you draw when you're an artist who draws then you're competing with everyone else in the world who draws, which is a lot all right it's an astronomical amount and then you go to a let's say a style or a uh, a, a medium like um collage and let's say surrealism and then you're competing in a smaller and smaller niche right well you go up to gaming or you go up to film or you go up to comics. And you're competing with a very, very small few. And at that small few, it's much easier to express yourself meaningfully than it is at a, in a medium where you're going to get washed up by all the millions of people um, working alongside you. Hmm. And uh, I guess I started gaming as part of a... A, a disillusionment with um, this revelation, and I had kind of experimented um, with ideas that I had been developing as a narrative, and I guess, I suppose, I've been working with it for probably about six years because prior to starting Menz, I was actually teaching game design. Um, by really it was by accident at a, a community college where I had started as an art teacher, and they had um, later um, allocated me to try to teach programming because of my rudimentary knowledge at it at that point. And that also I guess kind of seemed to be incentivized me to start really trying to produce um, games of my own.
0: Um, not human uh, on the IRC said that he disagrees with you about comics. The amount of artists making online comics is growing exponentially. Otherwise, he complete or it sorry, completely agrees because not human said that it's not a male or a female, it's an it.
4: Well, see, here's <laughs> the thing: is that that's that's why artists have to keep moving because what's really going to happen is that indie games right now they're gonna they're gonna be the same as technology. Just like when the advent of Photoshop occurred, it was like everyone no longer needed, um, let's say, years and years of, of honing their artistic skill to be an artist. You know, they could run something through a filter. And I know that sounds perhaps a bit exaggerant, but I've actually been to galleries where um, art pieces that were simply run through a Photoshop filter won the grand prize. <laughs> wow. yeah and you know that's because the the general audience might not know how something is produced because they're they're um unfamiliar with the technical aspects of certain um modes of production artistic production so someone familiar with it oh they go oh i know that filter right or you see a technique used in film and you're like oh i know that technique right Someone unfamiliar with it, they've never seen anything like it. They m- may believe that there's a great deal of intelligence behind it. But going back to gaming, where you're seeing the construct, you're seeing, you're, you were announcing the news of these new programs that make it easier, more accessible, because that's what they're in- incentivized to do.
3: Hmm.
4: They're going to eventually probably make it so that it, it, gaming becomes easy enough that. Any layman should be able to approach it. And at that point, just like comics, you're going to see an exponential growth in games where auteurs who want to compete are probably going to want to move on to the next medium, maybe holograms, you know? <laughs> I don't know what it will be in the future, but that would be probably what I would expect to occur.
0: I'd have to say this is probably one of the best interviews we've had. Like I, I'm speechless half the time back in the year.
2: I've
4: got no idea how to respond to half of this. <laughs> well, thanks. I, you know, I, I'm really honored to be interviewed by you guys. It's actually my first interview with uh, over audio. I've never had an audio interview before. Uh. First for
0: everything, right?
4: Yeah. So people don't get to hear your amazing laugh? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I actually, uh, I get made, you know, I'm pretty teased for my laugh a lot. Although I think that my laugh is very mocking. Oh, I actually That's really a... like it, though. Yeah. So. <laughs> I uh, was it I, um, and when I was, once I, I was trying to date this girl, and one of my friends said, has she heard you laugh yet? <laughs> and it was like, <laughs> like that, was, that was going to be a deal breaker. Ouch. So, okay
1: so uh djd duty asks um do you agree that a lot of these philosophies apply to core gameplay mechanics and design not just art since a lot of mechanics
4: are alchemized together and reused yeah i absolutely i actually believe it applies to everything i believe that it's somewhat of a universal um um epiphany that you can apply to anything uh for it's it's something that is only applicable to creating things but it it also applies to just living your life you know (laughs) i mean that that becomes a new age self-help kind of concept but it it really isn't it's something that is just if it were um perpetuated in society and publicized that people would probably accept as as common truth Uh, mechanics are they're, I guess, they're, they're they're more restricted than ideas in the sense that, of course, they have to fulfill a strict function. Um, we were talking; uh, I was having a conversation once about the about aliens and whether aliens would look human or not, because of how function has to meet form. Right? You can't have, let's say, an alien who whose body doesn't actually. Function because it it would have to fulfill mobility um, function uh, um, let's say strength gravity it would have to um, set up against all these kind of um, um, criteria they would force it to look a certain way humans are bipedal we have um, two eyes we have our nose and you know we don't have any an excess of anything we are just necessarily what we are because that is what our function requires us to look like and with games and mechanics they're always going to be more restricted because they have to fulfill a function in the same way we have to have two legs because we have to get around we're not going to have let's say uh triangular uh, three legs because it would it, it would just be clumsy
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> Using so many big words and making me feel stupid. <laughs>
4: <laughs> that, the problem with that is, I, um, I, words are very, I guess, fascinating because each of them they contain a, like, the idea of the essence of something, right? So, I don't know. I, I like words too much. It is very verbose. <laughs> if a picture's worth a thousand
1: words, and words all carry a meaning like that. Then that's just. Jeez.
0: Well, my picture has uh, one word and it, it's the word the, so.
1: <laughs>
0: Not very meaningful, I guess.
1: Yeah, but Brett, take the picture of your hat, for instance.
0: <laughs> what about it?
1: How many words does it
0: have? <laughs> I can't count that high, Ian. Sorry. <laughs> all right.
1: The correct answer is five, by the way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So does anybody else in the IRC have any questions? Also, if you're listening to this and you haven't jumped in the IRC yet, it is bit bit.ly slash I-N-D-I-E and then in all caps... IRC. I'll redirect you to a web client for our IRC chat. And if you have an IRC client, you can join via the afternet.org channel and then hashtag uh, IndieFunction, I-N-D-I-E, F-U-N-C-T-I-O-N. And DJ Duty DJ D Duty Ah I keep forgetting It's
1: called DJ D. It's his initials.
0: DJD. D. So creating a new original idea that is not based on another idea is almost impossible, he asks, since you will subconsciously base it on things you already know?
4: Yes, yeah, uh, that's a, pretty much exactly it. It's not only, only subconscious, though. That's not the only mechanism. It, it's merely this the limitation of, of having a reference point for something. Um, you really can't... I mean, you can... Imagine something that doesn't yet exist, but it is still on the continuum of things that already exist. It would merely be um, an advancement of something that already is present. You could imagine a hypothetical situation of a utopian society, uh, of a dystopian society that has cultures, politics, things that we don't have. But it's still going to be a remix of things that have always existed or that you're aware of um i i probably the most i mean we we can consider the the, really the i don't know this might be a little um too abstract but probably the only thing that we can really imagine that we don't have any reference point for is god (laughs) and i and i that's probably why there's a great deal of difficulty in imagining that and also a great deal of curiosity in trying to imagine that because I we don't have a reference point for anything like that (laughs) so like the supernatural is just yeah the super well the supernatural even like yeah I guess that is true that ghosts um, spirits ideas of the afterlife they're all they all to have life this life as an after point as a as I mean as a reference point but they themselves they're not materially seen, and they are probably examples of things which are are, are outside our um, our present circumstances and outside what we can readily imagine materialistically. But then I think when we try to interpret it,
1: because we base everything off of what we already have and know and whatnot, I feel like our interpretation of these things is uh, it, it causes it to. Kind of be based off of um, what we already have, just like when we come up with something it's based off of the things that we already know or have and more yeah. problems
0: that currently exist
4: yeah that's actually a really great point uh, It's probably a great deal of why religion um, becomes very perverse is because when people are trying to imagine a god entity, they're superimposing human atru- uh, human qualities onto it so it becomes wrathful or it becomes angry um judgmental or holy or pious arrogant you know it becomes all these things because perhaps we can't really imagine something (laughs) accurately that's so far outside um any object of comparison
3: Hmm.
1: and i think it um well okay there's two things really but uh first one i guess would be uh, i think a good example of this is kind of like if you look at minecraft everything is based off of what's in the world to begin with even the things that won't spawn naturally you're building them from things that exist because you're crafting it together from uh all sorts of different other parts but um that's just i feel like that's a great example of what you've been talking about and then the other thing is uh i think with just the world today especially with social networking and all the various just people in general the population um it, it's getting kind of hard and hard to do something that's different enough and new enough that people really consider original, because
4: there's so many things that have already been done. And I th- I think that's why the people who are humble enough to to accept the the futility of trying to create something completely original will probably fare better than those people who who don't accept that notion. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Alright, there's a bunch of talk going in the IRC. Uh, DJD Duty said, but even abstract ideas are hard to define without a reference to physical things. And then Zach the Great said that, um, I think that to be original then is to make a connection between two or more ideas that hasn't been made before. Like to bring up an idea, something that no one else has made the connection about before. And then DJD Duty said, one of my hardest challenges is coming up with original ideas.
1: Well, I think it's either you do what Zach said, which is you combine two existing ideas, two or more, um, but you could also, well, I guess that's really what it is. When you transmogrify something that exists, you're at least going to be putting in something from another idea that already did exist. So that that really, I think that's kind of just a really nice concept to have, is that to really be original, all you're doing is combining pre-existing ideas.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, with all my stories... Um... Like, I try to take things that haven't been connected before, just like we're talking about, um, such as, like, something that they've recently kind of connected with the Gulf of Mexico and um, the dinosaurs, how maybe that's where the asteroid hit that wiped them all out, as, you know, science has said has happened. And then I also connected a bit further, and um, they said that, um, the moon at one point crashed into the earth, broke off a bit, and then that became orbit. And that could have been the asteroid right there. Oh, so, yeah,
4: that's very interesting. So, <laughs>
0: it's, it's really fun taking all these different ideas and combining them. And that's, that's what I try to do in my stories, is take things that people usually don't connect.
1: I think, uh, also discoveries are essentially creativity like that in the sense that it's basically, you're just connecting different, uh you find like you might get one new piece of information, but it's not just that new piece of information that will allow you to make a new discovery. You combine it with pre-existing knowledge, even if it's just general things, but I think more often these uh, complex discoveries about life and other things like that, and uh, history and whatnot, you, kind of, you have to link it with a bunch of different things, and so depending on what you're linking it with, what you know, you'll have a very different uh, discovery than someone else might. So it's really rediscovery. You're not so much just coming up with something out of nowhere when
4: you make yeah. something. That's actually, um, that's what Socrates states. He says that there's no such thing as knowing, it's just remembering. And it's, it's interesting today that we know Socrates primarily for this his method of arguing, but we don't really un- remember any of his ideas.
0: Geez, <laughs> <laughs> huh. now I want to go read up about all this stuff and start up philosophy again but there's so many things to do
4: Yeah, uh, 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 I think one was- of the great um, touching on earlier someone had stated combining two or more things you know again I, I wouldn't advise doing that consciously but rather allowing it to be natural but um, touching on that is, is is it's helpful when you are interested in things when you pertain to your obsessions and this was something that I gleaned from Um, mentoring artists like John Schvenkmeyer, people who had inspired me. They say, be true to your obsessions. And really why that's helpful is because they fascinate you as an individual. You're more likely to combine things that are original when they're in within your niche of interest, right? When when they're within a niche in general. And loving things that really no one would really um, love, things that are perhaps grotesque, Things like um, that are low, insects, science, um, obscure science discoveries, um, space, and things that people are, is outside the uh, perception of most people who don't really consider these things. That's where a lot of your wellsprings are going to come from.
0: Yet again, silence.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I, I was, think there was a question up here or something a minute ago. Just a I second. Was, um, uh what was it? Crap, now there's a question. Okay, anyways. Um Ah jeez. Yeah
0: I'm not religion, sure. Religion,
1: religion, 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 there's something. Oh, uh, well it wasn't a question, but uh DJ was saying I guess coming up with a new interpretation, the same idea is considered original, and that's the reason we have so many religions, for example.
4: Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. I, I could say that's, that's that's true to a point. I, I think that it's it's, uh, it's not only that it's that's I, like I'm afraid <laughs> it's kind of like implying that um, religions are copying off each other, whereas I would argue that they're more recognizing similar um, s- similar aspects of reality and just commenting on them. And that's why the similarity exists more than they're copying, although they have copied off each other. That is true. Um, There was a history of Judaism, where how Judaism's um, its role of the devil and God have changed over time. And it was um, a timeline of um, periods where they had been under... Conquest, and they had been. I think that it was perhaps the. I think it was the Persians at one point, which had um, captured the um, the state. And during that period, they were heavily influenced. It's supposed by Zoroastrianism, which believes that good and evil are more at equal opposites, like a yin and yang, right? And during that period, it was seen that Satan had a very pronounced role in that religion. But since then, he's now become more of this folk character that (laughs) is weak or submissive, um, not really at all powerful.
1: Yeah, we kind of turned an interview with uh, game development into a uh, philosophical discussion and Well, it's so fun. The interesting thing, though, is
2: how it applies to his development in general. I mean, I'm kind of stunned with the different theories that he's managed to just kind of put in, in a logical sense, in the game development.
0: Yeah, but then again, our last interview with Steve Swink got off topic to um, schooling. Yeah, education,
1: public education in the United States, more specifically, but Mm -hmm.
0: still. So yeah, it, it even though it it does get really off-topic. I like it because it kind of expands more than just going straight to game design and stuff. It's still we,
1: related to game development. Yeah, it it's is. It's just a larger picture than mm-hmm. just focusing on, oh, just for game development, this is useful. It's useful more so than just that, and I think that that's a good thing for, uh, I, mean, I don't know, maybe the listeners disagree, but mm-hmm. I think that that's a good thing if you're trying to look into game development because I believe it was Steve who said if you... want to make interesting games lead an interesting life. So, I mean, you have to be able to recognize things like this before you can actually use them
4: to improve your games or other things. Mm -hmm. Would be even, um, some people might be uh, surprised to know that even some of these ideas are applied to martial arts. They're not even um, necessarily ideas that are um, only... Uh, interesting to people uh, of uh, mental preoccupation, but people who are physically um, combative um, in certain martial arts, it's, there's the notion of being like loose, like, like water. I believe you watch Mm -hmm. some Bruce Lee videos. He talks about this. You want to be flexible and kind of going with the flow in a sense, uh, uh, very much in the same way that I'm kind of advocating now, uh, of not trying to um, put a vice around your brain and squeeze these ideas out, but rather allowing them to evolve naturally.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, with that Avatar, the last Air Menders show, they talked about, like, if you watch some of the behind-the-scenes stuff, they, there was a lot of research that went into that show with all the different forms of martial arts and everything. Like, each... Each bender, like uh, the firebenders, the waterbenders, the airbenders, and the earthbenders, they each come from a different type of martial arts, and they each kind of have their own viewpoints. Like, I believe it's the earthbenders, they're really strong in having a stance. It's from some sort of martial arts where their footing is everything. And then the airbenders really go with the flow, you know? And then the waterbenders... Um, they do a lot of breathing stuff with theirs, and, um, I don't remember where I was going with this, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting, cause each type of martial arts has its own mentality to it on how they approach, um, their style and stuff.
2: I, I actually like the Drunken Fist. It's just, like, the idea that you become so loose that you're able to, like, squeeze yourself out of any situation and take the enemy down.
4: <laughs> well, it's funny. When people are, like, that probably has a pretty strong basis in, in truth because uh, what is it when a drunk driver gets in an accident, they're more likely to live because the alcohol has um, relaxed their muscles to such a point that they don't... Um, they're less likely to to um, express force from the impact of the crash. <laughs> so <laughs>
3: I didn't
0: know that.
4: Yeah, so perhaps that's perhaps uh, that's true.
0: Hmm. Uh, DJD Duty said, "I guess this is why a lot of good game developers are considered weird because they think differently and come up with different ideas."
4: <laughs> yeah, I, I guess there are a lot of people that will. I, I should mention that um, even ideas that I had been brought up were were quite attacked. They were attacked as being too uh, too highbrow or pretentious, or were they are just the viewpoint that I have. Mm-hmm. Whereas someone inspecting that from outside that viewpoint, they they don't they don't relate to it at all because they perhaps they've never considered it. Mm-hmm. They've never really the words that I'm would be even touching upon. They they're not accessible to that person because they're in such a linear mindset that they believe that any deviation from that must be absurd <laughs> or <laughs> contrived or inauthentic. And, you know, I, I, I was shocked to, to see this. It was kind of a, a wake-up. But, it, you know, for indie developers, we're viewed a lot of times as eccentric or I guess they say that a lot of um, artists in general or creators... Even scientists are eccentric. But it, I think that it's primarily that they're um, keyed into things which are probably just generally not regarded at all by the, the, the typical person. Mm-hmm. A lot of people want – the, the major perversity I think that, that exists in art today is that people want to impress more than they want to express so, and in trying to impress, they will seek out epic themes, all these features, high-end graphics, and so forth. But the the end result is something that's quite hollow in its interior, where an end developer, they might forgo high-end graphics. They might uh, uh, forgo uh, great features or or an amazing soundtrack, just to express what they're feeling, the idea, the authentic idea that they're keyed into, and in merely conveying that idea with authenticity and integrity, whereas someone who is interested in impressing, they don't care about the integrity, they care about the commerciality of it and uh, the technical prowess of it. Mm. I think
1: that's part of the reason that uh, the Loom Dare can be or Loom Dare uh can be very interesting is with that short period of time I mean most indie developers already don't care too much about having really high-end uh, graphics and other things but um if you have a really short period of time like that or just really any jam with a very short period of time you know that you're not going to have very much in terms of the uh necessary quality of like a uh, commercial game or things like that but that's why you focus more on just you come up with you don't have time to really think over your ideas part of the other thing so it's really more of what like how you think you just you have some challenge and you have to use one of your first ideas to get a game done in that time so you don't have a chance to try and uh, change your idea and make it something that would be more normal and accepted and instead you end up with very odd ideas because that's that's more the person expressing themselves and that's part of the reason I think it can be really cool just to look through the games people in jams even if it's like the zero hour game jam where the games aren't going to be good they're you know an hour long so it's not like that much time to put anything together but
4: still it, it can be very interesting yeah they, many times they can be like an influx of, of fresh blood they can become something like the seed of something much bigger
0: <laughs> Seleucius um just commented and he said better is the glorified fanboy way to say different.
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I it, uh, you know gamers have like um I don't know they I I guess because they have to sit down and be so um involved in what in the art that they're they're experiencing they can become very persnickety (laughs) they can become a very critical bunch and that's something that is for for someone who like let's say draws or is showing their gallery yeah they they will experience criticism at a certain um point of uh of um acclaim but with um with games you will experience that right off the bat just because i suppose that there is that, you know, there's that hegemony of fanboyism, uh, or what people will call it, and, <laughs> and so forth. But it, it makes a lot of sense when you consider the amount of time that people invest in these worlds to get the most out of them. I, I think that they're probably, it would be natural that people are. I kind of like that. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. And um, games are also an interactive form of art, um, unlike just about any other form of art. So there, you're gonna get a lot more criticism because people are going to actually get a much more in-depth um, experience rather than just something that they take in. You know, they they actually contribute to their experience.
4: That's true. It's a little violated in a way, I guess. When you see a painting, you're you're not really uh, <laughs> you're not really um, have to invest so much in it. You can produce an idea about what you think it means and kind of walk on but with a game you are more directly engaged so it almost becomes like a uh, more of a it, it's more it's further entering your personal space i suppose and your psychic space than a film would or a more passive medium
0: i think a really cool idea for a game would be a game that everybody can really experience differently because obviously you experience games differently but the way that you play it, like, you can be played different ways, and then your experience is changed. I, I, I'm i not sure how Sponky. you would do that.
1: Oh, yeah, I asked it's, Sponky. It's, well, not exactly like that, but that's part of the reason I think Sponky is so cool is they design things without... Uh, so much thinking how they want everything to work. It's more just everything works together. So all the uh, various objects can kind of flow together. And then they're even surprised when they play it because there's all these combinations they didn't expect. But because of how they set it up, um, it all still works together. And so basically the entire environment is more like a real world thing where everything's just going to interact with one another when you uh, put them together. And so that's why everyone's experience, when you play it, can be different. That in combination with the uh, procedural generation for levels and whatnot, it, it's very interesting.
4: Yeah, I, 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 feel like, um, I guess in a way that's sort of hearkening uh, back to the, the concept of how Buddhism and these ideas of, of the world as a simulator really feed into games. Because in a, in a sense, when you try to imagine the perfect game, it starts to really resemble life. <laughs> At least you know, from my perspective.
1: <laughs>
4: well, yeah, there's the, uh,
1: I think that goes along with, that I don't remember where it was originally been said, but, uh, there's the whole thing of real life being more interesting than, like, fiction, or non-fiction being more interesting than fiction, um, it's just the things that randomly happen in the real world can easily be more interesting than things people come up with because our imagination is you know, limited to only so much ridiculousness, basically. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I think that that's part of the reason when you start making something more and more uh, interesting or not like a game more interesting, it's going to seem, uh, seem more and more like real life and everything.
4: It'll mimic the real world more. Yeah. Well, let's say, for instance, like in a, in a... In a game, you get points, right? And the points are meant to be a reward for the player. But wouldn't it be natural that in a situation where we had, um, let's say, um, the availability of tactile uh, sensations, that we would probably introduce feelings of happiness. So instead of actually receiving points, a player would receive a feeling of happiness.
2: (laughs) I've I've actually always wondered, as a game designer, why people consistently do need a reward to continue playing a game. I mean, and if we mimic real life so much in these games, because that's what we know, then why do we consistently need a reward? Why can't we just need a reward when something that genuinely good happens? I think it's because uh, the primary difference between games and... I mean, it's not... Are always necessarily genuinely good that you just kill.
4: <laughs> yeah,
1: but, but games are work. Like, in a legitimate game, you have to have a challenge and something the player has to do. So you don't have a game unless the player is doing work. And that's one of the primary differences, at least with modern games and uh, actual just work you're getting paid for and whatnot, or a volunteer work or stuff like that. I mean, that, or that yeah, no. It's the difference between volunteer work and actually being a game is generally games more rewarding. You don't just feel good about, oh, you know, I helped to give out food to homeless people or something like that. You, you actually just, <laughs> uh, you got points or something. And most people are selfish, so they like having that whole, oh, I got something personally from it, other than just feeling kind of like, oh, I was a good person.
0: <laughs> that is. Wow. That is a great metaphor.
1: <laughs> Yay, I can do it too. Make everyone <laughs> silent.
4: <laughs> wow.
0: But yeah, I, I would have to agree with some games being work. Like, I've actually felt sometimes during a game, it's like, Ugh, do I really have to go do that? Like, Like, it's a school assignment, or... Something for work, like right. oh, really, it's
1: like homework. It's you, you don't want to do it, but you have to to get to keep going. You have to do it, but like it's it's easy, but it's so
4: pointless. It's such a waste of time. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I, I I think that that's part of why a strength of a good game developing is is when they try to appeal to your emotions rather than just these technical tasks, which do reward points, but then they also don't really fulfill you emotionally. Uh, yeah, you know, like, so you might have... Um, I tried to, to, to do this by by allowing you to get to know the characters, where the characters, you forge a, maybe an emotional connection, positive or not, with these people, these uh, simulated people, and then you might be more incentivized to help them or to... Yeah, perhaps combat them just based off the appeal to your emotions, rather than the objective, the technical objective. I think that's uh that kind
1: of goes back to earlier when we were saying the whole thing of uh what was it, um real life. When you really start making a game more interesting without it, it mimics real life. I mean, in real life it's it's mostly about emotions. I mean that's kind of one of the primary basis of being like human is that you have emotions and so I think that's part of the thing is when you're really getting emotions into it it's more like real life so yeah
0: and yet we still manage to tie it back into game development
1: <laughs> you have to every now and then I mean
0: mm-hmm.
4: absolutely <laughs> is that you John yeah yeah yeah, I got think it's from one of you guys, right? I'm getting a Skype user call. It's oh not wait, me. maybe not. I'm hosting I have no this idea. That's weird. I guess i this letter <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh Zach the Great oh. said, A plus to this interview.
4: <laughs> Everyone pat themselves on the back. Yeah, it was great talking to you guys. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much for it. I believe this has been two hours, actually.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's,
0: it's a longer one. So uh, we are going to wrap it up. Uh, thank you, everyone, in our IRC for giving us questions and um, Happy contributing. Birthday, Zach, again. Yep, contributing to the conversation. And thanks, obviously, to um, our interviewee, John Clowder. And make sure you do check out Moments of Silence on Kickstarter. Contribute to that if you have some cash. Um, I'm sure he'd appreciate any donation, no matter how small yeah. it is.
2: Yeah,
4: um, so I get one of those prints. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I. I uh, we have tons of. Um, I think we're creating something really worthwhile. So please check it out.
0: All right. Um, Zach the Great just asked where does he donate, so I put the link in the IRC, and we'll also have the link up on the broadcast page if you're listening to this after the show. So, um, it ends on December 5th, 2012, yes, oh god, how did I brain fart that? Um, it is a Wednesday, that helps, and we hope that the game goes well. Um, do you have any idea when it's going to be, uh, finished?
4: Well, my, my estimate is probably by, it's actually probably about 30% finished at the moment. Um, it's almost... At I mean, just in terms of of memory use, it's half the size of Middens already. So hmm. I would say about November of of next year, and if not, if I don't release it by November, I, I would think the latest it's going to be delayed is probably till February.
0: February of two thousand fourteen. That sounds like ages away.
3: <laughs>
0: but it'll probably be here sooner than sooner than we can imagine.
4: Yeah. Yeah, just like uh, Final Fantasy IX, what is it, 12 years ago now.
0: (laughs) That's crazy. Well, thanks again, and uh, we're going to go to the credits. And if you want to stick around, John, uh, we have a few things that we'd like to say after the show.
4: Okay, Okay, great.
0: Yep. Now, on to the credits. Thank you for listening to broadcast number 34 of Indie Radio. This broadcast was broadcasted live with 1,000 mics and was recorded using Audacity. All music was found on Newgrounds, coming from Copacetic, Ichigo Chaplo, I-Miss-U, and Enigmatic Wolf. Thank you again for listening in, and we hope to have you be a part of the next broadcast, which will be on November 24th. Have a good weekend.